place will not welcome you and they refuse you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed all that should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. We ask, O Lord, that you open our hearts to receive your word, that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish all that it is to do. We ask that every distraction be set aside, whether it's in our heads or about us, so that we may truly receive and by your spirit be truly changed to the glory of Christ. Amen. When I worked for my dad at the tire shop, which I did pretty much from seventh grade on during every break, during every summer, during every vacation, and several evenings a week, there were many, many jobs that I didn't like. In fact, uh, the other guys in the shop used to say, your dad's working you hard so that you stay in college and don't have to do this the rest of your life. Among my least favorite was taking a service truck on Interstate 80 to change a tire on a disabled truck in semi-zero weather in December at the night in Nebraska, Uh, especially if it was a left inside duel on the trailer. That meant that the tires were closest to the interstate and the traffic would zip by while you're trying to get to that inside tire. It was uh, extremely unpleasant. Inside the shop, I also had jobs that I hated. One of my least favorite was monthly inventory. My father required a monthly physical inventory of everything in the shop and everything in the warehouse, all of our stock. It was a retreading shop. We would put new tread on old casings of tires, on truck tires. And the tread came in these big rolls with the tread design pressed into it, and then the rolls were in boxes, in corrugated boxes, and those were stacked up on their sides, sometimes 10 to 12 high. And on the side of the box was the name of the tread design and the width of the tread. These rolls then had weights written on the side of each one of the boxes, and for the monthly inventory, you'd take the weight off of the top box that had been added up and then written there. But if they'd used the top box, And you had to re-add the weights on all of the boxes and write a new weight on the top box for inventory. And my father didn't believe in calculators for things like addition. So all I had was my clipboard, and I'd walk back into the warehouse and begin to add up the boxes. And my dad said, always add twice. Add up once and then down. And I did that, and I'd always write down both the numbers. I I hated the job because then my dad would come and check my results. Sometimes one of the numbers was right. (laughs) That would be the one that would be written on the clipboard to be summed for the total tonnage of rubber in inventory. These experiences uh, are experiences that seldom these days end up on my resume. My resume. By the way, the word resume literally means to re- Sum, like adding up. It's from the French, resume, which means to sum up again, to add things up again and summarize them. So a resume is a re-expression of the summary of your careers. We've been looking at resumes here at FPCLG because we've had a number of staff members that have moved on to other opportunities, as they say. Uh, I told you that Rick Folk has just been hired, and we chose him after we looked at his 
resume, the summing up of his professional career, and we thought it looked good, and then we interviewed him. And then we also called his references to find out what was his reputation. Reputation. That's another word that is related to resumming. It is re Computing, as in computing, reanalyzing, rethinking through. It actually comes from the Latin word for pruning. That you prune to figure out the healthy stuff from the not healthy stuff on a plant. That is your reputation. What do you look like after you have been pruned up? In our epistle reading today, and uh, the way I got around this, Chris, was is I'm actually preaching on the epistle. So, so that, well, I'll spend a little time with the gospel, but mostly on the epistle today. The Apostle Paul is thinking back over his resume, his resumming of his life events. By what authority was he called to be an apostle? After all, he was not one of the original twelve. His call came a few years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. What would Paul put on his resume that would impress the Corinthian church and convince them to take his work seriously? Take a minute. Think about your own resume. What do you put down to sum up your qualifications, your history, your skill set? Think about the things that you leave off of your resume. They may be true about you, but you're not exactly sure you want to lead with that. Now some 35 years removed from the tire shop, I seldom put down that I can dismount, replace, remount, reset a left rear inside 1022 split rim tube type truck tire after midnight on Interstate 80 in sub-zero weather. It never ends up on my resume. Part of it is because if you know I can do that, you might ask me to, and I never want to do it again. (laughs) I leave it off because it's not something that is particularly meaningful to be prideful about. And guess what? Over the last three decades of gainful employment, not once have I been asked whether or not that was something I could do. The Corinthian church that Paul is writing to has been infiltrated. They've been infiltrated by teachers who told them that the Christian faith was a kind of super knowledge. It insulated them from any personal responsibility. God had implanted them with this great wisdom, and it didn't particularly matter how they treated each other. They didn't need to change their behaviors. They had a special zapping from God that made them better than everyone else. And so they could treat everyone else however they felt, usually with contempt. And that that was okay, they were taught. The important thing was that they believed the right things. We know that heresy, don't we? We see it all around us. American Christianity has been infected with the same Corinthian confusion. It doesn't matter how I treat you. It doesn't matter if I include you. It doesn't matter even if I think you are scum. The important thing is that I believe in Jesus and so I am saved. Thank the Lord. Blessed be to God, you dirtballs. In our reading today, Paul leans heavily against that thinking. You want to talk about special knowledge, says Paul? You want to talk about mystical understanding? You want the credibility of the kingdom of God to rest on spiritual insight? I know a guy who 14 years ago had such a supernatural encounter It is impossible to tell whether it was in his body or out of his body. He was caught up into the third heaven and saw mysteries no human tongue can articulate. 
Like the prophet Isaiah, he stood in the glorious heavenly places and received firsthand very special knowledge of God's realm. And you know what? It means nothing to me. There are some so heavenly-minded that they have become no earthly good. I will not boast of special experiences, writes Paul. I will boast for the one who has experienced some things, but when I summarize what is truly important, when I give you my resume, I'm going to tell you about my weakness. My resume, my reputation, the things that I want you to know about me, writes Paul, are the things that will help you understand my frailty. In the previous chapter, Paul tells how the governor of Damascus, under the order of King Arches, was hunting Paul down. Did Paul confront him? Did he debate him in open space? Did he show his special insights and his spiritual capacity? No. He says in the cover of darkness, Paul gets lowered down in secret over the side of the wall in a basket. How embarrassing. Paul became a basket case for the sake of saving his own skin. Who'd be proud of that? In defending the faith, Paul leads with his weakness. In fact, he has some physical condition that was referenced in our epistle today, a thorn in the flesh, he calls it, that's a constant irritant to his concentration, to his attention, to his strength. He prayed that God would heal it, and guess what? God did not. Why? Because it was a constant reminder for Paul that he was weak. And in his weakness, that persistent, niggling reminder drove Paul consistently into absolute dependence upon God's grace. Paul led with precisely the experiences and limitations that one would never put on their resume. Because by leading with his weakness, he could be constantly reminded of God's strength. Tell me about your qualifications, Jonathan. Well, let's see. I've been let go from two jobs. One, because I did not complete the requirements of a grant report on time. And another, because I didn't raise enough money to justify my salary. Let's see, I've been written up for arrogance unbefitting a minister. I tend to procrastinate when it comes to stuff I don't like. And when I'm nervous, I get obnoxiously and witheringly sarcastic. Oh, and by the way, I'm really bad at adding up columns with three-digit numbers. Who does that? Who starts there? Well, that's exactly what Paul does. By highlighting the weakness, two things happen. First, by considering his own faults, Paul was able to give glory to God alone. I'm not the brightest bulb in the makeup mirror, but by the grace of God, I have seen some amazing things, stuff I didn't deserve. Isn't that fantastic? When I take a moment to think about the misjudgments, the mistakes, the misrubble things I've done, isn't it amazing the life we get to have anyway? When you think about the moments when things could have been broken very, very bad, and still you're here. How can we not be filled with gratitude for all that God has given us? Despite ourselves, 
despite our failures, our weaknesses, Paul's frail, limited, erroneous self did not prevent him from witnessing tremendous things. It put him in constant, grateful reliance on God's work, not his. And when you lead with your weakness, something else is going to happen. It moves you closer to others. I can no longer treat anyone else with contempt when I am honest about how contemptible I am. Take this approach in your intimate relationships. You will find your whole relationship with a partner blossom as soon as you become fully aware of how ridiculously hard it is to live with you. When I begin to recognize that Jonathan is not necessarily the best roommate on the planet, suddenly Danny's love for me becomes grace. It becomes grace because she has to put up with me. That's part of the strength of a a good 12-step program too, by the way. Everyone begins with an acknowledgement of their shared and equal weakness their mutual failure, their absolute dependence upon a higher power to assist them in their lower estate. The fellowship is deep when the kinship is humble. Remembering our weakness grants us strength to see others as equals, maybe even learn something from them when we begin to treat them as maybe even better than ourselves. That's what happens when Jesus returns home. Told you, Chris, I'd get around to the gospel lesson. It's not as helpful. The kids won't understand this at all. Neither will most of the adults, but I'm going to give it a swing anyway. The people who see Jesus come back home into his hometown see that he's preaching a gospel of humility and care and kindness about the kingdom of God, and they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it because they believed him to be of humble birth, son of a fix-it man, It couldn't be healed because they wouldn't accept help from someone that they in that community considered less than themselves. And in their arrogance, in their arrogance, they happened to miss the Son of God. My grace is sufficient for you, God said to Paul, for power is made perfect in weakness so writes paul i will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of christ may dwell in me i am content with weakness insults hardships persecutions calamities for the sake of christ for whenever i am weak I become strong. Thanks be to God who loves us knowing our weaknesses better than we know ourselves. Thanks be to God for the blessings we have even though we are weak. Amen. Amen. So what happens when a group of people 
embraces their own frail, weak selves and recognizes that they have benefits and joys and access and connection and relationship far beyond their merit. You know what happens? That becomes a transformingly generous community. I am painfully aware as a pastor each and every Sunday that there are a lot of great ways to spend a Sunday morning. It is the last vestige of protected time in our week. Because of the history of the church defending Sunday morning, we still have a little bit lighter load on Sunday mornings because I'll guarantee you, if it wasn't for that push through the centuries, your bosses would have taken your Sunday mornings years ago from you. But there are great things to do on Sunday mornings. You could be having waffles right now. You could. You could be listening to WFMT, a lovely concert, and sipping coffee. You could be meeting for mimosas with friends. And you showed up here. You showed up here. I'm not amazed, given any Sunday, that the sanctuary isn't packed. I'm amazed that there's anybody here at all. But the opportunity to be able to come and be with one another and hear from one another and to sit next to each other and learn from one another, that is an outrageously generous thing you do. It is humbling yourself just enough to suggest that the offerings of others are worth the investment of your time and inconvenience to come into this space with one another. It's a tremendous offering. And so for our offering time today, I encourage you before this day ends to look one another in the eye and say thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to show up and be with me. Amen. And as you go from this place, go filled with gratitude for all of the little things that embarrass you about yourself, for all of the things that drive you into the arms of a gracious, forgiving, and loving God, for all the things that make you confess at the end of the day that we are the beneficiaries of unmerited favor. Go thankful for those things and discover the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that embraces and holds us in our weakness. Amen.